Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode 25 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, back in February of this year, uh, the last block of IP4 addresses were officially handed out, meaning that if you still have dust collecting on your IP6 books that you bought years ago, it might be time to pull them off the shelf and start figuring out how all this stuff works. So the good news is today, if you aren't already an IPv6 guru, we have two of them on the show today. So we've got uh, Shannon McFarland, Principal Engineer from Cisco. Shannon, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And we've got Dr. Chip Popovichku, founder and CEO of Nefo6. Chip, how are you today? Doing great, Brian. Good. Uh, I'm going to do. I'm going to give a really quick back story on you guys, and then I want you to introduce yourselves and tell me what you're working on. So, uh, for all the listeners, I've known uh, Chip and Shannon for gosh over a decade and, and more than that. Uh, Chip, Chip and I worked together way back uh, at Cisco in the TAC. Uh, we hired Chip out of. He had gotten his PhD, knew absolutely nothing about networking, but we figured at the time. Uh, you know, if the guy's smart enough to get a PhD in physics, he's smart enough to figure out how to configure routers. So, Chip, I don't know if you remember back in those days when we did the interviews, but it was an interesting uh, bringing you in, trying to explain everything to you. You were, you were way smarter than we were in in most areas. Yes, it was. I, I still remember those days. It, it was a lot of fun those early days in Cisco and and the, the teams and the interviewing process. It was 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 a lot of uh, a lot of excitement because the the questions was were always. Uh, an interesting uh, exercise in, in logic, not just the, just the basic uh, knowledge. And, and just, just to, to tie it all together, uh, Brian, good, good opportunity for me to thank you for the mentoring early on. That was, that was a great experience in, in learning networking. You're very welcome. And uh, right around 2000 or so, uh, Shannon and I, Shannon was working in technical marketing for Cisco. I was doing similar thing. And they took the two of us through a reorganization and they said, you guys, Shannon was working on multicast and IPv6, two technologies that I think you were amongst a handful of people that understood it. And I was working on SIP, which was sort of the bastard child of voice protocols. And they said, you're now in the incubating technologies group. And I remember you and I sitting there going, incubating, huh? That's what we we're going to do. Yeah, I, th- I, w- I think we were both struggling to find something positive about that uh, new organization title. Exactly. So, you know, it only took 10 years, and now SIP is sort of prevalent in voice over IP, and, and here we are talking about IPv6. So, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Um, so, like I mentioned, uh, you know, Shannon and Chip are, are sort of two of the very leading people in the industry uh, not just talking about IPv6, but you know, you guys have helped people deploy some very, very large environments. So, are we finally are we finally at a stage where we have to learn this stuff? Go for it, Chip. Uh, so, uh, Sean and I indeed had a, had an opportunity to work over the years on on v6, even even back back when uh, you know it was not the the most popular thing, if you would. But but indeed, um, to a great extent, this uh, this event of uh, uh, finally, before uh, address space being exhaustion exhausted in the global pool, and and shortly thereafter the the address pool being exhausted in Asia Pacific, uh, really triggered a lot of interest. And uh, what we are seeing here is uh, not just uh, this this drive uh, based on a fear uh, about the impact that it will have on the growth of businesses and uh, connectivity uh, from a global perspective. But we are also seeing, very interestingly enough, we are seeing uh, the market leaders that are taking um, a a very proactive role 
in the deploying V6 from a uh, from a differentiating perspective. So yes, uh, without a doubt, uh, we are seeing a, a turn into the interest that the industry and, uh, has in on, on IPv6. Yeah. So help me with so so Chip, give give people like a two minute background of what Nefo Six does because you guys. <laughs> Um, you were you were doing IPv6 stuff at Cisco up until maybe a year or so ago. But what are you doing at Nefo6 now? And and more importantly, as you as you explain that, walk us through some of the process that you're helping people go through these transitions from four to six, learning the technologies, dealing with the transitions, and, and kind of understanding why it's valuable to them. Yes. Yeah, so Nefo6 was started uh, earlier this year in uh, in May, actually. And uh, it's uh, already was able to uh, put together a very good team, very experienced team in terms of IPv6 uh, expertise. Uh, we, we, we are able to put together a team that is pretty well known in the industry. Uh, we are offering IPv6 transition services, but at the same time, we are offering cloud transition services. And uh, there is a, an important parallel between the two that we have observed based on the uh, engagements that we had so far uh, starting with the NIFOS and even before, we, we strongly believe that um, there, are, there are two, actually three, but, but for the purpose of this conversation, two major inflection points happening in this industry at the same time. They are complex, they are interdependent, and they are touching everything in the IT environment. Uh, at the bottom layer, you have the transition to IPv6, which is all about scalability. And then on top, um, the transition to cloud and adoption of cloud, which we, we see it as being all about agility. And, and in terms of the services that Nifo6 offers, uh, we, are, we are helping our customers um, go from uh, V4 to V6 uh, through all the relevant stages. So we, do, we work with them on, on strategy definition, we work with them on assessment and planning, uh, and then uh, design and implementation. Uh, we do the same thing for, for cloud, and on the cloud side, we, uh, we particularly focus on the orchestration story related to cloud. But the bottom line is that uh, if there is a one takeaway of, uh, from my message today, is that I think people need to start looking at V6 and cloud together. And when they define a strategy for one, they need to take into consideration the strategy for the other in order to avoid rework, and in order to maximize um, the the return on investment for these two uh, transitions. Okay, that, that's good. That makes sense. <clears throat> you know, Shannon, for for a long time, when people talked about V six, um, and, and probably not you because you, you were dealing with it in such depth, but but for a long time, the conversations were always just surface level. You know, does your product support it? Does it support it in hardware? Are all the features there? We're, we're well past that, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're past the sort of the RFP checkboxes and we're now getting into what makes it unique. You know, what do the unique designs look like? Certainly, that, that has always been a catastrophic mistake people have made as has really started off back in the day when people would look at IPv6 as just a single checkbox. And it, it's a much more comprehensive process that you have to go through. And so while we're definitely past the days of where the majority of your products or software do not support IPv6, we're well past those days, you're not all the way out of the woods yet as it relates to uh, deployable IPv6 feature sets and performance across everything that an IT organization may invest in. So that will be an ongoing process, and it is an integral part of the planning and ongoing 
um, kind of truing up of your of your capabilities within your IT organization is to continuously, not just one time, but continuously go through that gap analysis of what is it that I'm investing in? What is it that I have, I have kind of moved out of my organization and brought into uh, via a, a, a refresh cycle, for, for example, and making sure that what it is that I'm trying to do from an overall IT roadmap perspective, can that be supported over this next generation protocol called IPv6? So, yes, we're past the uh, initial part where the vast majority of your features or your platforms are going to be missing uh, critical elements of IPv6, but you still will have that for, for quite some time. And and design and implementation is the, you know, soup du jour, right? People are, are very uh, accustomed to going through the gap analysis at this point, and, and folks like uh, Chips Organization and Cisco Advanced Services and, and many of our channel partners have uh, very robust assessment, planning, and design programs built into their overall product strategy uh, that can help customers through there. What I have tend, tended to focus on for many of the years, uh, you know, the, the years that I've been involved with IPv6 has been the design and the implementation side simply because that's just, uh, you know, what gets me excited and what I've been doing within Cisco for a very long time. Right. And what we're starting to find um, is that people are getting into uh, the weeds of IPv6 and the deployment and figuring out that, hey, it's IP with a higher version number and there's some nuances I need to learn, but it's really not that bad. And as to kind of tag on to something Chip had talked about, we're really starting to see um, almost this shock factor of, wow, I was very fixated on IPv6 design inside my own enterprise but I have completely alienated the fact that I'm in another part of my organization looking at offloading or perhaps totally moving part of my IT organization uh, capabilities into the cloud. And so that's something that is like within the last few months has appeared in many of my customer calls is the design requirements for moving V6 outside of your organization. Okay. So... I want to kind of connect a couple of dots, and, and Chip brought up a really good point about, you know, when you're thinking about, if you're thinking about cloud computing, IPv6 probably ought to start to become a natural part of that thinking, um, and, it, and it may be because what you're talking about, Shannon, you're going to want to interact with various service providers, or it's it's like Chip was talking about, you don't want to have to do redesign twice, you don't want to have to kind of re-architect twice. I, a lot of times, you know, in, in, in the cloud space, especially sort of people that were building, say, private clouds, for example, you'd hear this talk about sort of journey to the cloud, right, where it was, it was kind of a multi-stage process that would be, uh, in a lot of cases, infrastructure first. It would kind of get infrastructure consistent. They would, it would virtualize that, that infrastructure, begin to virtualize those applications. They'd add automation as they went along. Is there kind of a, a parallel sort of journey to the V6 that, that people tend to follow, you know, where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously an assessment of where you are. Um, they've got to make some decisions about four to six conversion, and there's a ton of technologies there. Maybe they do some stuff that's isolated. I mean, it, it, when, you, we, when you guys are talking to customers, whether you're doing it as a vendor or as a consultant or you're just hearing best practices, do they tend to talk about it as being sort of a journey and there's, there's kind of well-defined steps that people get to? Absolutely. I mean, I think that... Uh Unlike other really cool technologies that a, an IT organization may adopt for whatever business case justification, 
they most of them impact a certain user population or a certain part of their uh, infrastructure. With IPv6, it's IP. So it's everywhere you have IP today, um, at one point or another, you'll end up with IPv6 in those same locations. So it's it's ubiquitous in nature as it relates to touching every element within your IT, uh, you know, uh, portfolio of services and products and so forth. And so because of that, you cannot take this all-or-nothing approach. It has to absolutely be a phased approach that is based upon generally two things, your use case and your time frame. And so very often when we have conversations with uh, enterprise customers, we generally walk them through, okay, why are you doing this? Is it based upon a use case? You're a vendor and you're writing software for a new TV set or a game controller or you know, whatever the case might be, and you need to get developers into an IPv6 build environment, okay? That, that's one use case. And if that's your use case, what is your time frame for getting that done? And so as you walk through that kind of almost in a, a Q&A uh, type of conversation with them, you can build a framework that you can phase out for how they would implement IPv6. And very often, um, they're questions that they have not asked themselves, and it's somewhat enlightening in the conversation to figure out, like, well, we never really thought about what our time frame is, and we just thought we would do IPv6 for due diligence to prepare for it, but we haven't really fully you know, vetted out what our, our use cases are. So uh, the, the phases that you go through and that journey that you would take very often are dictated based upon the use case and the time frame. Okay. Uh, yes, and uh, so, so Brian, uh, I wanted to add one more uh, uh, piece here to, to what Shannon was, was talking about. So the interesting thing about, if, if you look at the cloud and, and V6 discussions, if you look at them side by side, you, you can draw almost a one-to-one -one parallel because you can do the same thing. You can think about, right, first, let me, let me see how the infrastructure is going to look like. You know, you, you talk about virtualization and you talk about this integration of the new protocol. Uh, the next step, let's say, is going to be to to assess where your applications stand, uh, both on, on the cloud. You want to figure out what is going to fit for the private cloud, what's going to fit in a public cloud, in, in the hybrid environment. Same thing for IPv6. You need to evaluate the application in order to assess them for IPv6 readiness and the implication of, of them running on IPv6. So if, if you lay these two roads side by side, you see all these touching points. Um, a, a very simple example. If you have a, a large enterprise with 2,000-plus applications in your portfolio, and you're going to have to evaluate and assess these to see where do they fit in terms of a, of a, a cloud delivery model, uh, why not do the V6 assessment at the same time, save money, same t save time, uh, and integrate all this in the, into the larger next-generation IT vision? Gotcha. So when you're doing that, so let's say let's say you're you're smart enough, you kind of go, okay, I'm going to I'm going to think through it that way, um, without and I'm not looking to, to turn this into sort of pointing fingers or, you know, highlighting anybody. Are there any parts of the, you know, Shannon mentioned early on, you know, we're, we're way past the kind of surface level, but are there any any sectors of, of technology these days, whether it's, you know, storage or virtualization or, or certain, you know, types of applications that, that just haven't kept up and, and people should go, okay, I'm going to kind of avoid that for now, or is it is it pretty consistent um, in terms of, you know, Oracle does it, VMware does it, Cisco does it, Juniper does it, EMC and NetApp do it. I mean, is there any anybody lagging at this point in terms of a section of technology? 
Well, I think, you know, as a part of the, the gap analysis and the assessment process, a lot of people get fixated on, on, you know, layer three devices, router switches, firewalls, and load balancers, and so forth. And they, they assume that because the networking vendors are, are involved with it, that the application and operating system vendors are as well. And so the number one place that we're finding um, quite a bit of lagging uh, IPv6 functionality are in unique line of business applications within specific verticals. So if you take a look, you mentioned some of them, VMware and Oracle and you know Microsoft. If you take a look at Exchange, SharePoint, you know those types of applications that are very prevalent throughout the enterprise, that stuff is in really good shape. It's generally when I'm an automotive manufacturer or I'm in the legal business or healthcare and I've got a very specific vertical that is revenue generating that is, you know, paramount to the success of my, you know, day-to-day -day operations, those are generally the ones that people leave to the very end because they just didn't think about them, but yet they're the absolute most important thing to their business. Those are the areas where we've seen the greatest gaps are really those unique verticalized uh, applications in those spaces. Other than that, I'm sure there's some lagging going on, but for the most part, uh, you know, we, we've got great success with many, many enterprises from all different ranges, um, all the way from the infrastructure itself through to the application. Okay. Yes, I would, I would, uh, I would say that uh, we, we've came a very long way from the early days in terms of readiness, and, and really right now we are looking at, at very specific things that we need to check when we want to do to ensure end-to-end -end readiness. But in the end, we are talking about end-to-end -end stories now that, that include a lot of features, a lot of capabilities. And so minor uh, gaps here and there uh, could undermine an end-to-end -end story. So that's why, it's, it's as uh, Shannon was pointing out a little bit earlier, it's still important to do the assessment. It's still important to have the end-to-end -end perspective. Uh, however, off-the-shelf vendors are in, in, a, in a very good position, much better than they used to be. Uh, the, the challenges come with, with in-house development and in-house in applications. And, and Shen and I know, know a very good example of a, of a very important application of an organization uh, that was completely built on top of an early version of Apache that was not supporting IPv6. And that early version of Apache was embedded very tightly into the application architecture. So unless you go, uh, you, you evaluate that, you understand those dependencies, and you insert an IPv6 set of requirements into the life cycle of that application, you can find yourself uh, at the 12th hour uh, to realize that, hey, uh, this particular thing is not going to go to V6 in a very short time frame. Okay, so, so that absolutely, and, and to follow up on that, I think that when we look at deployment options, why, I mean, many customers come and they're like, why are there so many choices available to me um, for deploying IPv6 in any one of these various uh, use cases? I didn't have that in IPv4. I just turned on IPv4, and, and if it was facing the Internet, I would NAT, pad, or proxy it. But other than that, I just ran IPv4 and routed it as, as needed. And with IPv6, we got you know, stateless and stateful NAT64. We got integrated server load balancing with translation. We got Lisp. We got reverse proxies. We got all these different uh, technological uh, capabilities to allow someone to either purely from an end-to-end -end dual stack perspective get IPv6 done, or if there's all of these B, C, and D use cases that that can't happen, um, there's all of these backup offerings. And I think it really 
is 100% based upon the capabilities of the applications because you know very often we've all been in networking a long time and so we don't change a layer 3 topology because you're deploying a new version of exchange that just isn't the way you design networks but very often we're seeing in IPv6 that the application themselves whether it be internal to their enterprise or something that they're trying to port off into a cloud environment are actually dictating the topology and the layer four, layer three, layer four through seven capabilities of, of the overall design are actually dictated very often by the capability of the app. So the app is the single most important element in the overall IPv6 design that a customer would go through. Okay, and that's it's, it's interesting you guys bring that up. I we did a with the last show that we did, um, or a couple of shows ago, we did with uh, we were talking about mobile devices, and we were talking with uh, with Tal Klein from Citrix and, and Brian Katz, and and Tal brought up you know we, were, we we got into this conversation about what they were kind of jokingly calling craplications, but you know Tal said as much as everybody wants to talk about cool apps for mobile and all this sort of stuff and you know is VDI good or VDI bad he said you know the number one application that people want to emulate or or send out to an endpoint is these things that are supported with IE6 which is you know old old browser technology stuff that people hate because it wasn't compatible with a lot of things and I think you guys are basically kind of reinforcing that except in a different context you may be talking about embedded systems PLC logic controllers on a shop floor um, it's it's I think what you're ultimately getting at is the things that while they're important um, you know aren't technically sophisticated aren't the things that are getting the headlines but they're the sort of those those like kind of niggling little little things that are going to keep you from being really pure and, and that's why we have all these extra technologies to to help people get end to end even though there's there may be some band-aids in between a- absolutely and you know you know I, I've did my my two lives at Cisco or enterprise IPv6 and then all things related to applications in the data center and I'll tell you that the two were totally uh, siloed uh, areas of, of interest and coverage that I worked with and now as you know I'm, I'm totally embedded in VDI and so forth we actually start to see those two points not necessarily in parallel anymore but they're totally unified in their product in their problem description in that you hit a perfect point if I'm a legacy organization where a specific web application I have written is very in tuned with the capability of IE6 only and IE6 may or may not have IPv6 functionality for other web applications that you're embracing not just that legacy version then you've now diverged uh, your traditional application interoperability problem and its incompatibility with a new protocol that you're trying to deploy and so more and more we'll start to see uh, this this kind of this convergence of challenges that overlay on top of one another and that is dealing with legacy application environments whatever that may be and the implementation of a new uh, protocol in your environment and the two initially look like they're independent of one another but very often they overlay on top of each other and very often compound the issue uh, overall Okay. Yes, and um, so I, I think what we can do also, we can turn this a little bit on its head, and we can look at, at it from a, from a future perspective and say, well, let, let's take the cloud perspective, let's take the IP6 perspective, and now putting the two together, we can make a, a, a yet even stronger argument for re-architecting some of these uh, applications that we build uh, we, we build in, within our enterprise. And so now when you talk about uh, truly cloud-ready 
standards for our application development um, and, and truly application-ready uh, standards for our application development, we can really build this next generation set of standards that will drive and will, will enable the businesses as we expect them to. And going forward, um, I, I strongly believe that, that uh, the tie-in between application uh, design and the availability of, of these unique identifiers and very powerful large identifiers that are the IPv6 addresses will change the game, uh, the game in, in, in general in how our IT environments will look like. You know, one of the things whenever we do technology changes is, you know, people are going to learn new stuff, but, but anytime there's change, there's got to be sort of that motivating factor for them, even for technologists. So let's say you guys are, you know, you're, you're selling IPv6, not just to solve a specific problem. Like Shannon mentioned, you're, you know, you're going to go into the Asian market or you're going to go into the game console market. But, but give me a couple of, what are the cool things that IPv6 does above and beyond what everybody knows feature functionality wise that's there with, with IPv4 today? What, what, yep. what, what gets people excited when you're talking about IPv6 that they go, well, I only, not only do I got to learn it, but I want to learn about that thing because that, that seems really cool. That seems like it might solve a problem in a really new way. I'll, I'll actually bring up a, a relevant point from a, a, a conference call that I had uh, over WebEx just last week with an enterprise customer, and this is quite frequent, is a lot of people are looking for this, you know, fireworks show of coolness when they hear IPv6, they say, you know, oh my God, this is going to solve world hunger, right? And the reality of it is, is that it is just a protocol, um, and, and so while there's some coolness involved with it, it's not like this massive fireworks show that's going to go off and, and solve all of your IT problems that, like many enterprise customers, expect. Okay. But there are elements around it that absolutely do solve real IT problems. And, and a perfect example was, was with a large uh, financial customer that we were talking with last week. And they are like any organization that are, are you know, global in nature and that given times of year or given times of their business cycle, they may increase and decrease headcount at branch offices. And we've all done this before where we break out our Excel spreadsheet or our favorite IPAM tool and we're constantly jacking with bits in IPv4 to figure out, okay, I had eight people at this branch. Now I've got 15. Do I need to change the subnets associated with that because I'm you know, constantly running out of space? Well, just the fact that you have this monstrosity of address space and that the important factors in IPv6 addressing are no longer how many networks you have and how many hosts per networks you have. It's more how many networks do you have. And we don't really care about the number of hosts you have in, in, in your overall organization. And so this just kind of lit the guy up that was actually in charge of addressing for this financial environment that said he spends 80 plus percent of his day constantly manipulating their IPAM tool to forecast and build new addressing structures with variable link mask in IPv4 just for branch offices. I mean, this is 80% of this guy's job. And the fact that he can now move into IPv6 and never, ever again have to worry about did they hire eight or 80,000 people at a given branch, he has the address configuration built in already with the capabilities to deal with that. So they now are excited to him, him to finally break out of that mold, uh, you know, at least one day 
when they get IPv6 as a prevalent functionality in their environment. And that, that, that challenge is totally solved for. And, and so that is one of the cool elements that people discover that they don't even really think about initially until you explain it to them. Okay, cool. Yeah, plug, I would, plug and play subnetting. Yeah, I would, I would echo the same, the same idea. I, I have the same experience. So, you know, addressing sounds like a very boring thing and it's not that big of a deal. But, but it's amazing how many problems actually solve, it's all solvable. And uh, I'm seeing the same thing with, with our customers. So once you start to, to uh, put them on this train of thought that, that Shannon was mentioning, forget about addressing, forget about how, how many hosts per domain you have, think about networks. Um, all of a sudden, people that, that have never really paid attention to IPv6 really join in the discussion because they immediately see the value that it's going to bring to their uh, uh, operations. Uh, one of my customers, uh, also a large enterprise, they are seeing uh, or they are projecting a 5x increase in, the, in terms of the devices that are joining their infrastructure. And they are having a hard time as is in, to, in, to, in order to manage uh, users and number of users per domain, similar to, to Shannon's example. And so you bring up the V6 discussion and all of a sudden they are sold because they see right away the value it is going to bring to them. But the interesting thing to me is that that's the first step. That, so, that solves the burning immediate problem. But then, right after that, they start to add on their own new ideas where maybe the coolness factor increases, if you would. Um, maybe all of a sudden, uh, the, the wireless team that was all psyched about the idea that uh, I'm not going to have to closely manage the number of users per uh, SSID, all of a sudden thinks, oh, but now that I understand a little bit more about IPv6, I realize that I can create this, this really dynamic environment where I can leverage uh, capabilities like, like uh, DACPPD in order to provision them and tear them apart really quickly on, uh, on very mobile sites that I need to deploy. And so the idea is open, we open the door with the IPv6 addressing discussion, which invariably solves a lot of problems in very nice and elegant ways, but then uh, customers start to discover this new uh, ways in which IPv6 becomes a differentiator. Okay. Okay. And when, and when you guys are when you guys are talking to customers about this, obviously it it depends on the size of the their business and and the size of their problem. But uh, you know, h- how long do you typically see if there's a way to put typically around that? How long do these transitions take? I mean, if when people are looking at at doing v6 v6 plus cloud types of projects. You know, is it realistic to get things done in 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 six months? Is it should they? Is it a year? Is it like what? How do people wrap their head around how long does the transitions take? Well, I'm well, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna rain on your parade. Okay, and and I will tell you that it will never end, right? Okay. Because you are constantly moving within IT to something else, right? You're you're doing unified communication. You are. Uh, adding multiple data centers or you're consolidating data centers, you're doing branch consolidation, you're, you're doing something, and all of that has a dependency on IP. So while you can finish, depending on the size of the organization and what their specific goals are, you can finish these rather quickly. I mean, if you're just trying to serve content to the Internet, for example, you can do an Internet edge design you know, in, in a matter of, of just a, a few weeks, depending on what you're doing. But if you're trying to embrace IPv6 holistically across your entire organization, 
that's cool. You can get that done, and in, in, in some of the largest organizations we know have 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 solved that within you know an eighteen twenty four month window. But you're constantly doing something new to the the environment. That means that you probably for a period of time, and this is why I don't like the term transition. I like the term coexistence because you're not yanking IPv4 off the wire instantaneously. You need to embrace IPv6 in a non-disruptive way into your environment and use it for what your, your real business requirements dictate. And then as time goes on, you will have this kind of a, a purpose of duality where everything that you do, you need to ensure that you can run in the legacy IPv4 world, but you can also embrace in the new IPv6 world, and that is a very, very long-term cycle that you're going to have to embrace. So I, I really avoid with customers this how long will this crap take kind of discussion because, in, in essence, it probably will never end until you retire. Okay. Well, I, um, I have... Um I'm partially agreeing with with uh, with Shan. This uh, probably this is a first. So um, <laughs> so uh, I would say I would say that like everything else, right? When you do something, you can do it. You have you have three options, right? You can do it fast, you can do it cheap, or you can do it well. You can have two of each, but not all three at the same time. And so this applies very much in my mind to the transition or to to IPv6 adoption in general. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest risk that an organization runs uh, is not to give enough time for the V6 transition. You could do it very fast uh, and not really make the most out of it. Uh, if you do it very fast, you're not going to you're going to you're not going to make it very cheap. And in our experience, my experience uh, working with with very large deployments, it takes three four years for for a complete integration of V6 simply because. The organization will inevitably go to several iterations, really matching the target architecture. Uh, as we move along within an organization with IP6 integration, there is a lot of additional information that tweaks the design along the way. Uh, we are still away from having solid best practices. We have good case studies, uh, but we are away from best practices. So, in other words, uh, this IPv6 integration process is going to take time if you want to do it right, and you should give it a lot of time if you don't want to spend a lot of money uh, in order to do it quickly. Uh, that being said, um, for many years, we've been growing, and I've been growing up in, uh, in, this, in this world with V6, uh, under this idea that we are going to see V6 and V4 coexistence for a very long time. And so, you know, I've been, I've been batting around uh, the typical 10, 20 years even for how long V4 and V6 are going to coexist. One of the things that at least that I have been seeing recently from my customers is a very clear message that once they, they see it in place, once they see the, 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 the target, uh, they are very aggressive on finding a way to really get to a V6-only environment. It's not an easy thing to do but it's an aspirational thing and it's becoming much, much more aggressive because they're concerned with the idea of managing two different infrastructure infrastructures at the same time. And here I'm not talking about legacy. I'm not talking about the small island of IPv4 somewhere in a corner. I'm really talking about true dual stack uh, across the entire footprint. So it's going to be very interesting to see in the coming two years or so how much, um, how much this coexistence will really last. Okay. So, 
uh, sort of last question, I'll wrap this up because I want to be conscious of your guys' time. Um, in that same vein, right, so obviously with you guys being sort of gurus, Shannon, uh, you know, talking about this this lasting for years and years, you guys are set for for years, probably until, you're, until you retire, you know, people are going to be coming to you about how to do this. If you're talking to somebody, you're talking to somebody who is a CCIE, you're talking to an, uh, you know, an IT professional, networking professional, whatever, like what are the steps to you know, what should they be learning? Where should they be going to get good information about this? How to learn um, ways to sort of play with this in their labs? What's the what are the the best kind of getting started for the technologists out there? In this industry, I think that we're very accustomed to you know grabbing your normal uh, Cisco Press book or some book that uh, you can grab off Amazon or whatever to to go learn and there's excellent resources for that. I mean, Chip has co-authored um, several books, you know, Deploying IPv6 and Global IPv6 Strategies. Uh, there's an excellent IPv6 security book out there by uh, Eric Vinke and Scott Hogue and, and I've authored an enterprise-focused book. So that's generally where people begin um, their, their investigation of IPv6 and that is just simply to true up the, the differences between IPv4 and IPv6 and to pull in the new things that IPv6 offers that people need to very tactically be aware of before they begin any implementation. But following that, I think that there, uh, people, depending on their role, will you know, kind of move towards uh, perhaps you know, standards bodies as, as trying to investigate what's up and coming. IETF obviously is extremely active with IPv6 and has been for a very long time. And so people look at what is up and coming uh, at the same time as what is real and what can I do now. And so very often the traditional uh, investigation of books, blogs, um, and then kind of researching, you know, when you have insomnia and you can't sleep, you go pull your favorite RFC from Chip and you're out in a matter of seconds. Um, th those are, sorry, Chip, those are, uh, those are the elements that, that people tend to kind of stick with because that's what they know. And, and I've not seen a massive movement away from that type of learning. Okay. Chip, what about I you? I would, uh, yes. Um, so education is, 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 is very important. And I, I'll be honest, it's, it's very hard to find people in the industry that have the experience that, you know, folks like, like Shannon has and, and that, you know, we've been working on this for a very long time. So it, it, this, is, this is definitely a career opportunity. Uh, what I typically recommend to folks is uh, go ahead and do a first quick pass through the technology. Do a, do a quick review of, of what IPv6 is all about. And, and the value of that is going to be it's going to, it's going to offer you the confidence to feel that all the work and the experience that you're gaining before is going to help. But once you did that, don't stop there. Go back, take it more in depth. As Shannon was pointing out, read some of the RFCs, get to the more advanced books, get into the lab because that is what's going to highlight the true uh, fundamental differences between IPv4 and IPv6. Those things that are going to enable you to build a true next generation uh, network truly make the most of the IPv6 transition. And so um, it's going to take a little bit of time if you, to, if, if you want to do it right. And this is very much at the individual level. If we are talking about uh, organizational level, um, our company, Nifo6, offers, offers training and, and we also offer uh, IPv6 forum gold certification. Uh, the, the, 
what we see with this with these trainings that we are offering is that it's important for organizations to understand and put in place a training program. It's not enough to send one, two, three, a few people to a class. You need to write to to provide the right type of knowledge to the right people at the right time that will fit in this um, long term engagement that is going to be the IP6 transition. Otherwise, you send a few people to do a few things here uh, early on, they don't get a chance to get in depth, they don't get a chance to get their hands on uh, on the lab, and they'll, they'll forget by the time their knowledge is really needed. So it's important to start early. Okay, well, very cool. Well, um, so yeah, my, my daughter's uh, uh, first and second grade, they're starting to learn Mandarin in their school. I have to tell the teachers to, to add IPv6 to the curriculum. <laughs> so, guys, real quick, uh, where can people find you over the next couple of months at shows and events, and where can they find you on the Internet? Go, Chip. Well, uh, our, our website, uh, www.nephos6.com. Uh, Nephos, by the way, stands for cloud in Greek, and 6, ah. so IPv6. Um, so uh, we've been uh, we've been active in several of the IPv6 events so far, and we will continue to be at uh, the typical IPv6 events. Uh, our CEO uh, Yuri Rich is going to be at Globecom, um, uh, leading a panel there for uh, IPv6 discussion, and we're going to touch into IPv6 and cloud. Um, and uh, yes, uh, any cool. IPv6 event that is coming up, we we definitely going to be there. You'll be there, Shannon. What about you? I got uh, Cisco Live London uh, coming up at the end of January 2012, where I'll be doing my normal enterprise IPv6 uh, design session. Um, in addition to that, I'm uh, on Twitter at IPv6, as in E-Y-E-P-V-6. Um, I also am finishing right now, in fact, a new Cisco validated design for uh, deploying IPv6 in the enterprise internet edge. That'll be on the uh, www dot cisco.com slash go slash design zone website coming up here in probably the next three or four weeks um, and also we have quite a uh, full docket of events interop uh, the Rocky Mountain IPv6 uh, summit is happening uh, again next year here in Denver and so there's a lot of places that people can come and uh, throw rotten fruit and so forth at me when they feel the need very cool. Well, if anybody sees uh, Chip or Shannon out and about, uh, buy them a beer, bring a napkin. They'll they'll do some IPv6 designs for you guys. So, uh, so for Shannon and Chip, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we're out of time for this week. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the Cloudcast or reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net. You'll find links to the show. You can leave us a comment. You can send us an email or get details about how to also stream the show on Stitcher. So, uh, for Chip and for Shannon, thanks to everybody for being on, and for everybody out there, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.